Hello, everyone. This is the Ether Podcast, and I'm Rodrigo. This is Ryan. And uh, today we have a third member of this here podcast. All right, Rachel. Hello. And uh, we're trying a new format here. Uh, we realize that we want to improve this podcast more and more, so we're trying to have a mediator of sorts. Bring a woman. That's right. Bring a woman to make it better. <laughs> Expand so in the family. <laughs> have to jump on social media, be it Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Ether at Ether MMC, and uh, let us know if you like this better. Uh, not to say that people don't like our podcast. Generally, we've gotten very good feedback. But as we were thinking, how could we make this better? This is one of the things that we're trying. So with right. that said, right. It's not that we like or don't like Rachel because we love Rachel. Right. But it's do we like or not like this format? That's exactly that's right. Exactly what it is. Right. Part of the reason why we brought personal. her in is because some Business. of our more. She was in our very early on. She was on our podcast. And some of our most popular episodes have been with her on. So back by popular demand. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so without that being said, we're continuing our series on Mark. Uh, really, we're in a section of Mark from Mark 8 through Mark 10. And from Mark 8 verse 27 through the end of chapter 10, we see Jesus really turning to his disciples and teaching them about discipleship, but also teaching them the morals of a disciple. And the passage that we're going to look at today is Mark 9, verse 30 through 50. Uh, in this passage, Jesus touches on, again, the greatness of, or, well, what makes a disciple great. Well, he talks about humility. He talks about uh, rivalries. He talks about temptation and sin. And he also talks about corrupting the innocent. And so we're going to get into this passage and we're going to discuss it. So with that, we'll give it over to our mediator. All right. So we're going to start off by reading Mark uh, 9, 33 through 37. Um, I'm reading from the ESV translation for those of you who are following along. Um, and it says, and they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. All right, so to put this in context, um, right above here uh, in verse 30, the disciples and Jesus are traveling, and Jesus predicts his death. Um, and in a previous podcast, you guys were talking about um, Jesus predicting his death, and then Peter rebukes him, and then <laughs> Jesus you know, says his famous line, get behind me, Satan. Um, so here Jesus is predicting his death again, but nobody says anything. <laughs> and then they have this discussion about being the greatest. So I guess my first thought is, um, how do those two things link together? Jesus predicts his death. And then the guys along the way are talking about who's the greatest. 
how do those two conversations come like link together? I think that you have to use your imagination a little bit as you're reading through the gospels. Um, so the story that, uh, you omitted from just even the question is you've got the transfiguration and Jesus saying, this is who I am. I'm the son of God. I've got the support of God, our father. We've got, uh, Moses representing the law. We've got Elijah representing the prophets here, supporting me saying that I'm the guy and I'm here being witnessed in this amazing setting by Peter, James, and John. And as they're walking down the hill after this amazing event, Jesus says, I'm going to die. And they're discussing, what does this even mean? And as they get to the bottom of the hill, the other disciples who didn't go up, so every disciple not named Peter, James, and John, are down there trying to, to heal a, a sick boy uh, who's, who's got some, some demon it's living in him and it's causing him to, to convulse and do all kinds of crazy things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Jesus heals the boy and they, they move on and they go and they leave Galilee. And I think what happened is Peter, James, and John start telling the disciple, the other disciples, uh, they may not have given them details because Jesus said, don't tell them what you saw, but they may have said, look, something amazing happened up there and we'll tell you later. Um, um, but it's a shame that you guys weren't able to heal that kid. I think if I was there, I would have been able to do it. And right. I'll bet some sort of discussion starts up between the guys of saying, I really don't think you could. What makes you think that you could do it any better than we could? <laughs> well, Jesus clearly wanted me to be around him. He invited me up the mountain, showed us this amazing thing that I can't tell you about. And you get this discussion going on with, with these guys where all of a sudden you start seeing this hierarchy and you also can't ignore the fact that Jesus didn't take everybody with him up the mountain and show everybody. And so there's clearly this group within the group that starts to develop. And I'm sure that it wasn't easy for everybody. Like, you know, the fourth guy in the, in the hierarchy. He's like, how come this is like a BCS argument? How come we didn't get in? Right. Um, but I think that's probably, probably what happened is that there was a discussion that developed among the guys about why couldn't you do this? And some of the other guys saying, I think I could have, or I didn't get my chance or I, I should have been able to get, get a shot. I don't know, Rod, what do you think? Well, I have a little bit of a different perspective and I think okay. part of, the reason why we're having, they're having this discussion is because they don't get it. Like they hear, uh, can you guys hear me fine? Ryan, can you hear me? Okay. Okay. So they hear Jesus say that he's going to die and they just sort of, they don't understand. And I think part of the, the reason why they're having this conversation of who's going to be the greatest is because they're really thinking man, who's going to be his right and his left when this guy becomes king? And it, you know, I think as, as gears switch, starting in Mark 8, they clearly see Jesus on a trajectory um, towards Jerusalem, towards taking over, 
And so all of these things are happening now that they believe that he's the Christ and he's kind of confirmed that he's the Christ. They go like, man, this guy's going to become king. And so it is the very natural thing to then go into this discussion. Well, let's figure out who's going to be his like top lieutenants. And that's Mm -hmm. why they're having this conversation about greatness and the direction. And I think the, the impressive thing and the challenging thing is where Jesus takes a discussion. Greatness isn't in who's actually greater. Greatness is in who is the least of you. And we talked about this in another podcast a couple of weeks ago. And again, I think this is the third time that Jesus has brought on this idea that greatness comes by becoming less and by sort of giving ourselves and submitting ourselves and being a slave to everyone. And the the dimension that he brings into this that ties into everything that comes after this is that he grabs a child and he says, whoever receives one of these basically receives me. And I think one of the things that's always intrigued me is what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to receive a child? And I think it has a little bit to do with humility. It has a little bit to do with the the lack of importance that a child has. And so Jesus is saying, you know, to receive me is to receive somebody who's not important. And that is such a challenging and sort of gear change from then thinking that Jesus is going to be king to Jesus saying like, hey, no, actually, if you take one of these unimportant children, you're actually receiving me. So what what is challenging about receiving someone who's not important? Well, I think if you put it in the context of the importance that they're giving Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Like the Christ was was the pinnacle of their faith. They had been waiting for this figure that was going to restore Israel. And here it is. I mean, here he is. The time has come. There's been prophecies about this guy. They've been waiting for him. The moment has come. Mm-hmm. And the Christ is probably the one of the most important figures in the Old Testament that they've been waiting for. And here he is saying, no, actually, I'm as, well, not that I'm as important as a child, but if you actually really want to receive me, receive a kid. And so this contrast of this man that you would put atop the mountain and him saying, no, 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 to receive me is to receive a child and vice versa. Mm-hmm. It's just, especially given their mindset as to who the Christ was, it's a huge paradigm shift to think in that way. Mm-hmm. And clearly they don't get it because a chapter later, kids are coming to Jesus and they're driving them <laughs> off. <laughs> so they, they don't understand. Well, I don't know if it's it's totally about, I don't know if the emphasis is necessarily on children themselves but on some on this this um, faceless identity that a child represents, um, Rod, I think you even preached a sermon about this a while ago. I think it was you, 
talking about um, the role that children had um, in that day and age where these were, were people that we often talk about how women really had no legal standing in this day and age that, that the voice of a woman didn't count for anything and that children were even below that. And right. so here you've got this argument about who's greatest and I'm, I'm above you and I'm better than you and I'm better than you. And Jesus is saying, look, let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum. And I want you to look at a child who has no standing, no social priority at all. I want you to take care of a child, meaning I want you to, to be willing to humble yourself, to not think of yourself as so great, but to, to have an attitude that says, I'm going to take care of anyone. Because he says in 35, if anyone would be first, he must be last and servant of all. And well, who is all? Well, he brings a child in and says, everybody, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives not me, but, but him who sent me. And so I think it's this emphasis of Jesus trying to open up their eyes that, that my kingdom, the one that, that you are a part of, it's about taking care of other people. And I want to show you what it's like to be a part of my kingdom, that, that I've just shown you the pinnacle of my glory by transfiguring before your eyes up on this mountaintop appearing with Moses and Elijah hearing the voice of God saying this is my son obey him and it's easy to think that that you're the greatest because you are a part of that group or you're a part of my entourage or whatever but I really want you to understand that what I'm talking about in my kingdom is to take care of people is to take care of everyone even the, the lowly children. And I think he could have put in our day and age, I think you could swap out like a homeless person. Um, right. You know, we've got so many rules and regulations about children nowadays. Um, I don't think that this necessarily holds up as well as, you know, a homeless person. Um, we see these, uh, these uh, social activist kind of, kind of pranks on Facebook and, and says, Let's see what happens when somebody dresses up uh, like a, uh, something happens. They like trip and fall in the street or they're asking somebody to borrow some dollars and everybody gives to them. Then they come back and they say, well, what happens if I look like I'm homeless? And they get ignored, they get stepped over, they get made fun of, they get ridiculed. And it's the same exact person. And Jesus to me is saying, look, the emphasis is on taking care of everybody. It's not establishing some kind of hierarchy. In fact, the hierarchy is upside down. And in order mm -hmm. to be at the top, you actually need to be at the bottom. Right. And so what it sounds like you guys are talking about is that Jesus in this moment is really expanding their definition of everybody, of everyone, um, you know, because of their, their culture, their reference point, where they are in history when Jesus says, if anyone would be first, he must be last and servant of all, um, he has to take that a step further. It sounds like you guys are saying, because it's not just he can rely on them to say, oh yeah, that means everybody. 
that Jesus almost has to go to this extreme example um, to show them the extent of the direction that they have to go in. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I think he's, he's really explaining to them what it means to be last. Infant mortality was high. You know, kids may or may not survive. And he's saying like, hey, these kids who are fragile, these kids who are important, like they're the last. And so if you receive these who are last, you're receiving me. Mm -hmm. Uh Talking about that and talking about um, Jesus redefining what it means. um, I find it interesting that he brings a child And like Ryan said in the beginning of this podcast, that right before this, nine of the apostles try to heal a child and they're not able to. Um, So then Jesus says this thing about, you know, anyone who receives a child in my name receives me. And then John has this, it feels almost like an odd transition um, in 38, when John says, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him um, because he's not following us. Um, again, it it feels like, did you just hear what Jesus said? <laughs> did you hear the conversation he was trying to open up? Um, but then Jesus goes into, um, don't stop him. So can you guys sort of walk through that transition from anyone who would be first must be servant and last to then Jesus even going further into that story of don't stop the person who is casting out demons in my name. Yeah. So I think one of the things to take into account, I think social background and sort of the culture of the time always helps with these kind of things. Um, Rabbis were very sort of competitive with their teachings, meaning that so Jesus is many times called a rabbi. The disciples see him as a rabbi. Mm-hmm. The concept of a traveling rabbi wasn't foreign to them, but rabbis were very exclusive to what they taught their disciples because basically a rabbi sort of made his or her his living, not her, because rabbis were always male. Right. Made his living by his sort of exclusive teachings and his exclusive perspectives. So in that world, for John to see somebody else use the name of Jesus, he's like, no, 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 man, you're, you're trafficking in our product. Like, right. this is ours. <laughs> we have a copyright on this. And Jesus basically says, if they're not actively against you, don't consider them a, rab- a rival. And one of the amazing things is how... Uh, broad Jesus is making the definition of arrival because unless again somebody is actively opposing you then you should consider that they're for you and I think one of the ways um, in which this this uh, scripture really changed my perspective for good and for bad um, for those of you listening who may not necessarily be part of our, uh, so the three of us come from the, the international churches of Christ. And early on, 
one of the attitudes that our church had was to be very much like these are our teachings and this is what we believe and i think historically speaking culturally speaking up until a few years we're sort of very closed off to other denominations uh other churches and i think in time that's changed a lot but when i read this and i really understood the scripture it really made me see that especially when it comes to the christian world we should be a lot more open to other people and in and again in a way jesus is sort of democratizing christianity he's saying you know this guy doesn't have to be with us to be able to do what he's doing which i think is and again i think even coming from the discussion that they were having before of who is the greatest hey this this is our product we don't want to share with anybody jesus is saying no 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 this is this is different this is not what you're used to again mm-hmm. unless somebody's actively against you consider them for you and that was a big change i like that that's a good a good summary um i think directly to your question how does this verse follow the verse that precedes it i don't think it necessarily has to i think that it's could be two separate conversations but the ideas kind of juxtapose um so i don't think it was a single conversation but i do think that what we start to see is with this discussion about who is the greatest and then John's question to Jesus. And then in a second, Jesus is going to change the conversation again to tempting children or other people to sin. And even going on into chapter 10, we start seeing just kind of a a shotgun approach to the teachings of Jesus that at the beginning, Rod, you were talking about some of the ethic ethical and moral questions and and points that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples that he has just been shown to be the son of God and in charge of the world. And God says, listen to him, obey him. And Jesus says, all right, let me teach you what it means to follow me. What does it look like to follow me? And here's one thing when you're talking about who's the greatest and he addresses that, what if there's this rivalry that goes on and he addresses that Tem- tempting somebody to sin? What does that look like? And as you kind of look at each of these things that it's, you can get in the weeds, but what you start to see more is this, this not a, even a black and white, but a very colorful rendering of what a, a Christian looks like mm-hmm. in the kingdom that Jesus is bringing where they thought it was very black and white militaristic in a lot of instances and here jesus is deconstructing that perspective and saying let me give you a new understanding of what it means to follow me what it means to be a part of my kingdom and helping to to restructure their hearts reshape their hearts reshape their their vision and their understanding not only of of him the messiah and this role that they kind of expected him to fill but even the role that he's giving to them, what does it mean to follow me? What does it mean to be my disciple? Um, and so I think that, that he's here 
trying to change some of these things of this is for everybody. This is not something that we're going to hold on to with a tight fist, but this is something we want to share with everyone. And if somebody is out there in my name, let him speak. I want everybody to know about this. I want everyone to be healed. Um, I mean, essentially what the disciples, what John says to him is, uh, yeah, so someone was uh, casting out demons and I said, uh, no, leave those demons where they are, which is, which is a horrible thing to think, but that's exactly what he's saying to them. It's saying, look, you leave those demons in there. We might get around to him. And Jesus is saying, no, I've come to, to show people healing and that their lives can be healed. And if this guy is able to heal somebody or someone else is able to be healed because of me, that's why I came, that he's for us. He's not against us. And he's going to give them another nuance, another layer uh, here in just a couple of seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, what you guys are talking about uh, makes life a little more messy. Um, you know, it's, it's easier to have sort of more narrow, clear, defined, like, yes, if you're with us, then you're good. If you're not with us, then don't do that. Um, but you know, from this whole, just even the broad statement in verse 40 of, if for the one who is not against us is for us, um, how does, how does that look? you know, this expansion, this sort of messiness in life of being able to open up the borders, so to speak, how does that play out in life in a practical sense or in church life in a practical sense? Well, what Ryan said made me think of something um, before I address, right. I address what you're saying, Rachel. That's good. <laughs> yeah, because and we've mentioned this in other podcasts, but since, and again, sort of the, the beginning of the, all these conversations is Jesus talking about his death. And mm-hmm. I think clearly Jesus has it in his mind that he's preparing his disciples for a time in which he won't be there anymore. And the reason why all these teachings are so important is because Jesus is looking into a future in which the kingdom will be in their hands. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why it's important for us to learn this stuff and figure out not necessarily how to apply it to our lives, but really figure out how, how these teachings are to mold our heart and our mind is because that reality is true for us. Jesus isn't here. Well, the kingdom is sort of in our hands, and we really are to advance it and keep these teachings in mind. And I think to address what you just asked, um, I think that one of the analogies is, and I was thinking about this, and for those of you who are listening to us, I am a huge uh, technology geek. I enjoy technology huge. quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a, a good analogy is sort of the whole dynamic between Android and Apple. Android is open source, which basically means that anybody can get the code, create programs for Android, um, and make devices with Android. Apple controls their stuff a lot more. And because of that, they're sort of able to control the quality of their products a lot more. Android mm-hmm. is very messy. I mean, uh, Android phones, some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Some of them get updates. Some of them don't. 
But that being said, Android is used by a lot more people. Mm-hmm. And a lot more people are familiar with Android than they are with Apple because Apple is a lot more exclusive. And I think Jesus is very interested in his name and his word being spread. So he just doesn't want to put barriers. And I think there is this idea. It's a lot safer to sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? To sort of standardize things. It's a lot mm-hmm. safer to um, sort of have some guidelines. You know, I don't know. You know, one of the things that I was wondering is like, how does this guy sort of have the no, the no, it, how does he know to to use the name of Jesus? Like he mm-hmm. see his disciples do it. Obviously, John was concerned. Like, hey, this is not one of our guys. He's not walked with Jesus. He's not been through all the things that we've been through. How dare he do this? But Jesus wasn't concerned with that. I think again, he's concerned with his name being out there. And so I think, and even even from a from a church perspective a church community perspective i think uh having been part of the leadership of a church and especially rachel and i work with teenagers and one of the things that we wanted the teenagers that we work with is to really take ownership of their ministry to really take ownership of their own christianity and what that meant is that they were we had to give them opportunities to do different things so like Mm-hmm. opportunities to preach opportunities to study the bible with others opportunities to do some public speaking and i think anytime we try to do those things we did it with a certain degree of terror because you <laughs> just never knew what one of these kids were going to say you were always afraid that maybe they're going to say something that's not doctrinal or maybe they're going to say something that's wrong or maybe they're going to interpret a Bible, a scripture in the wrong way. But at the same time, you sort of have to let go. And again, in, in having those thoughts and in, in wanting these kids to do these things, this scripture is one of the places that I would go in that the fact that these kids wanted to do that kind of stuff was awesome. Mm-hmm. The fact that they would ask us like, hey, can I preach? Can I teach? Can I lead this Bible study? Can I, you know, get together with my friend and do X, Y, or Z? And we were like, yeah, man, go, go do it. And, and again, I think there's a certain degree of fear. There's a certain degree of we don't know what's going to come out of this exactly. But at the same time, they're not our rivals. Right. They're there wanting the name of Jesus to be known. And I think, again, it's sort of that kind of democratization that Jesus was after. So can I play devil's advocate for a second? Yes. Okay. So in this passage, the guy was casting out demons, right? And so we know that if he believed in Jesus and he was casting out demons, like you can't fake that kind of belief because a demon's not going to listen to you. Um. And I think in church culture, sometimes there's a fear because how do we know something is true or genuine? Um, So what would you say to someone who has that kind of fear? Because, I mean, the teens aren't casting out demons. 
Sometimes you think they have one. Um, <laughs> but how, like, I mean, this is a, this is a different kind of litmus test, if you will, that, uh-huh. you know, it's someone casting out a demon and we don't have those kind of miracles now. So what's, what's our yardstick in being able to say they're not against us? Well, I think the the yardstick is in a sense the same in that I think part of what plays into this is the fact that the the good of what this man is doing far outweighs the bad. So a, a demon's being cast out. You know what I mean? Whether mm-hmm. whether he's one of Jesus's guys or not, the bottom line is that a demon's being cast out. I think, and again, I think where you draw the line with this is ultimately a decision that you have to make. But at the end of the day, letting a bunch of teenagers preach and teach and do things that involve ministry at the end of the day the word of god is being preached right and i think the good that comes with that uh ways maybe having to get up after them and say thank you teenager for sharing this it was awesome and then publicly having to say maybe you know this point that you made was great but this is actually doesn't apply to what you were reading or whatever Mm-hmm. But having to do that, to me, far outweighs the the potential of somebody finding their gift, somebody who's in the audience being impressed by these kids' faith, all of those things. I think at the end, outweighs some of the bad. And I, and I know that, the, that there's a thin line with that kind of stuff. But to me, again, Jesus very clearly seems to look at the situation and be like, let it go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that um, Jesus here is saying, "Look, look at what he's doing and what he's saying. This is great that he's he's using my name to heal and take care of other people. How can that be a bad thing?" I think later on in the Bible we see examples where Paul was confronting people when their gospel had shifted and changed um whether that was with the judaizers and he he confronted that and said look you guys are listening to a gospel that we did not preach to you that is not what i came and i taught you the judaizers were still talking about jesus and their message at that time was look to become a christian you first become a jew which means circumcision and obeying the Torah. And then you can become a Christian. And so they're still talking about Jesus. And Paul said, look, there's a line somewhere where just because you're talking about Jesus doesn't automatically make it okay. Mm-hmm. In this situation, in Mark here, here's somebody that's taking care of and says, hey, if he's not against us, he's for us. It doesn't say he doesn't need to be corrected. It just says, don't tell them to stop. Right. Um, and then later on in, in some of the, the Paulian letters, we see that Paul is confronting, whether it's Judaizing Christians or Gnosticism, 
um, we see that there start to be divisions among Jesus's followers and all these people using Jesus's name. And Paul has to call them back to the one gospel and call them back to unity. So it's not necessarily that, that Jesus is saying, Hey, whatever this guy's doing is totally fine if he's using my name, but it is, um, in this case, somebody that's bringing healing and blessing to other people. Um, yes, do not stop him for no one who does a mighty work in my name Mm -hmm. will be able to soon afterward speak evil of me. Um, so Jesus is even referring to what this guy is doing as a mighty work. And so he's saying, Hey, this is great. Well, I just, I think it's hard in this passage because it's, um, it doesn't feel like, uh, connected thoughts all the time. You know what I mean? Like from one passage to another, from one paragraph to another, he's talking about this and then he moves on and he talks about this. And so it's sometimes challenging when you're reading these passages in long stretches because you feel, it feels sort of um, like you're being overstimulated, you know what I mean? With like thought, 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 if that makes sense. Yes. Um, So I think transitioning into this last sort of section, like how does, again, that previous thought of, um, of what we just talked about, move into this whole idea of basically naming yourself if a part of you is sinning. Well, I think this is actually this has been a this is one of the things that I talked about in the video that I did about this passage. There's a lot of discussion in scholarly circles as to what Jesus is referring to by these little ones. Because he's either referring to the children that he talked about in verse 37 or 36, or he's talking about a believer like this man that was going around casting out demons. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of debate as to which one it is, whether it's the children or whether it's like young believers. And one of the things that I talked about in the video is that in the end, it doesn't really matter because we're totally capable of corrupting one or the other. What's interesting about what Jesus is saying, and I think, Rachel, one of the things that we were talking about before we started recording this afternoon, Mm -hmm. is sort of how there's this progression in this passage in which Jesus is sort of broadening the circle, if you will, of... um, the influence of his disciples because first it talks about who's going to be the greatest and and that very much has to do uh, seemingly with the 12 like who's going to be the greatest among the 12 then he talks about children then he talks about this man and now he's talking about children again and then he goes into this whole thing about sin but again very clearly jesus is really trying to make them think about the the impact that they're going to have as disciples. Mm-hmm. And so him jumping on on these young ones. And for those of you, and, and you know, it's interesting because even the imagery that he uses about this millstone, 
the millstone that he's referring to was the size of a room. Like they, these millstones were these giant discs made out made out of stone that were used to basically crush a lot of grain. And usually a donkey would pull it or a mule would pull it. Mm-hmm. But they were these huge circular rocks. And the fact that he's saying, hey, if you corrupt one of these little ones, you might as well just tie one of these things and be thrown into the sea. Like, that's a horrible fate. Right. And he's really emphasizing the fact that part of the influence that his disciples are supposed to have is one of protecting innocence. Hmm. And I think it, and again, I think he's sort of broadening their perspective on, hey, you guys are going to have an impact on the world. And I think, again, I think that that gives us a lot to reflect on that our, our ability to do good in this world can be great as disciples of Jesus. Yeah. There's... <clears throat> As we look at the message of Jesus throughout everything that he does and everything that he talks about, he spends so much time preaching and teaching and healing. And, and I love that, that mental picture of Jesus going around Palestine and around Canaan and around Judea, touching people's lives and showing them I want, and almost saying to them, I want you to have a glimpse of what God the Father intends for this place. Mm-hmm. He intends for you to be whole. He intends for you to be healed, whether that's physically, whether that's some sort of relationship, whether that's spiritually, whether you've been bleeding for 12 years, whether your child has died, whether you've lost the ability to to uh, be a part of society and you've lost your family. I want you to, to see that, that the kingdom of God is about restoration. Hmm. Being a part of my family is about renewal. And I love all these rewords of starting over, whether it's restoration or renewal or reunion or reunification or redemption or reconciliation of, of bringing things back to how they were. And to think that that's, that's this core message of what Jesus is trying to get his people to see and to see that, that God is there touching their lives. I was, I've been listening a little bit to the, um, the Beatitudes and, and you listen to, to what Jesus is saying to to this group that's following him that's made up of people who um, are on the fringes of society, have nowhere else to go, who are turning to Jesus because they have needs that they have been forgotten and cast out by the rest of the society that they're in. And Jesus turns to him, and the first things that he says is you're blessed, that you're blessed if you're poor in spirit, meaning you have nothing, mm-hmm. you have nothing to give, you have nothing to offer you're blessed if you're meek that that of of you just you're powerless you have nothing and 
humble or you mourn and there's pain in your hearts that it's all about God understands your pain. God understands your affliction. God understands what you're going through. And I think it's very telling that Jesus himself was born to a poor couple mm-hmm. who, as far as we know, weren't even married when he was born um, and born in the lowliest of positions and maintained that, that social standing of just being a carpenter for the rest of his life, that he didn't grow up in this affluent home. He grew up in a home that, for all we know, had no father beyond age 12, um, that he, he probably faced a lot of ridicule um, and probably a lot of whispers. I'm sure that, that Joseph probably let it slip a couple of times that, you know, this kid isn't even really mine. I'm just with his mom kind of thing. And I'm sure that there were whispers and, and he grows up to become Jesus Christ. And, and you look at the, the, starting place that he began and the message that he brings throughout his ministry is there's healing on the other side of this. Yep. And so what we see in that, that last piece is, Hey, if you are, if you are causing anybody, whether it's a child who can't, doesn't know better, whether it's a young disciple who doesn't know better to, to have some kind of hurt, some kind of, you put some kind of obstacle in their path, you're causing them to stumble, you're causing them to sin, that you are destroying the thing that I have designed and created for that person. And it would be better if you didn't exist at all. Yeah. And I think, you know, no one has really said this, but I think Rodrigo, you and I were talking about this. Um, I think you guys have hinted at this, this whole time is this whole passage is very relational relationship driven that idea of the redefinition of relationship that if we are going to be the ones that uh, represent God on earth that he wants us to represent the full picture you know not an aspect of it well I think the biggest thing and even one of the things that this passage addresses that I think we miss which I also addressed in the video we made is um it seems that Jesus goes and switch switches between talking about corrupting little children. And then he goes, it talks about our personal sin and talks about how, if something, if our eye causes you to sin or arm causes you to sin, we should cut it off and all this stuff. And he ends all of that by saying, have salt within you and be at peace with one another. And I think this whole time, I think up until months, I've always seen this passage about cutting off our limbs and stuff. And I think as Westerners, <laughs> we tend to look at sin as a very individualistic thing and as a personal thing. The interesting thing, though, is that in the Bible, all throughout the Bible, most of the time that sin is addressed, including this passage, it's addressed as in how it affects the world around us. In the Old Testament, when God sends prophets to speak of people's sin, it is always in the context of the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. When Jesus punishes Israel for their sin, 
he punishes even the the righteous with the unrighteous. Sin is 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 generally talked about all throughout the Bible in the context of how it affects communities, how it affects nations, how it affects your neighbor. Even the Ten Commandments are very much addressing one another relationships. Most of the law addresses how within the community of Israel, people are to behave. And I've even talked about this example again in the video. Adam and Eve individually get kicked out of the garden. But who pays mm -hmm. the consequence for their sin is all of humanity. And if anything, that's a prime example of how few individuals sin can really pollute the world around us. And even like even the idea of hell, and I think we don't think about this a lot when it comes to hell. Aside from the way that uh, the punishment of hell is described, that people are going to suffer there, think about a place with all of the worst people in the world in it. How all, just take the fire aside and take all of that stuff aside. Imagine I put you in a room full of all the worst people that you know and how unpleasant that room would be <laughs> with all the selfish people, with all the self-centered people, with all the liars, with all the thieves, the murderers. I mean, that's hell. Sin doesn't just affect us individually it affects our families it affects our communities it affects our churches it affects the world and again jesus's vision of a future in which he's not there this idea of don't corrupt the innocent and take care of your temptation and your sin i think is best understood in the context of the place of the disciple in reference to the rest of the world and how by us keeping ourselves salty, keeping ourselves pure, because salt used to be a preservative, how by us keeping ourselves pure, we can influence the world in a great way. There's a lot of um, social justice that you can pull out of this verse and out of, out of this conversation of, of focusing on standing up for the weak and standing up for the downtrodden. And I think yeah. that there's a lot of benefit to that. Um, and I think you could easily make a whole life out of social activism and, and going after the needs and the, the rights of people who have been oppressed, um, standing up for them. And I think that, that, it's worthwhile stepping back and saying, how can I do this as an individual and how can I um, spread the love of Jesus and bring the gospel of love and of uh, reunion and restoration to my hurting world. And yep. it's a tough thing. It's, it's been something that honestly has been on my heart for a while and I haven't come up with anything. Um, and I have thought about this for a while you know um i'm a privileged white who lives in suburbia um raised in suburbia um 
And so for me to say, you know what, I'm just spend time downtown um, and get to know the homeless um, is a daunting kind of thing to, to me. And it's not that I couldn't do it. I think that that's a boundary of fear that I've placed in front of myself and this feeling of somebody else needs to organize this and I'll participate in some organized activity or, or some sort of um, social outreach or um, some kind of thing. Um, you know, a lot of communities and a lot of organizations do like a Martin Luther King day of service and you'll go out and you'll hand out pamphlets about uh, fire safety or fire prevention or, or things like that. And you go out and kind of pat yourself on the back. But I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. I don't think Jesus looks at us and says, you handed out a pamphlet about checking your smoke detectors uh, to <laughs> in the projects um, and, and gives you a pat on the back. I think this is something that's so much greater yeah. Um, and it's, it's something that should be a part of our everyday lives. And it's something that I need to spend more time reflecting on. What does that look like for me? Because I don't think that it always has to include, um, the poor. I don't think it always has to include, uh, the, the socially oppressed. I don't think I have to necessarily be in third world country or, um, be in some border state where you got a lot of immigrants and, and social problems and um, all these political questions about keeping families together or separating them for the sake of uh, political reasons. And I, I don't think that it has to do that necessarily. I think you can find a lot of good you can do in suburbia. Yeah, I think, it. you know, to wrap to wrap up the conversation, I think, you know, um, I think we could all agree that um, we all can have the tendency of the disciples to want to sort of break things up and define things, create hierarchies, and all those things eventually cause uh, factions, right? They cause breaking in relationships, they cause boundaries in this group and that group and everything. And what Jesus does, I think, you know, even just thinking about the whole have salt in yourselves and be at peace and the whole idea of salt being a preservative, what you were talking about, Rodrigo, and how we all can have the tendency to sort of drift away from these teachings right. as we go in life. Um, and it's so good to come back and to have a discussion about it because it draws us back to a place of what you were talking about, Ryan, of really challenging ourselves and pushing ourselves further. The words of Jesus really are the salt um, that preserves what God wants us to be on this earth, but also is a purifier. <laughs> it brings out, you know, what shouldn't be there um, to really motivate us and push us towards getting out of our comfort zone, doing things that wouldn't be a natural thing. You know, all these instances that we've talked about for these guys were not natural ways of thinking, right. you know? Mm -hmm. So I think taking that and thinking about our own lives, what yeah. are some ways that I'm, that I could do things that I could do that is not natural. So. The thing that encourages me the most about all these things that we've read 
is that again, Jesus is trying to teach, I guess, his disciples the morals of the kingdom. And on underlying all of this, and I think with, with the close that the, the thought that Jesus closes with, the good that we can do just by being moral, the way that Jesus wants us to be moral is amazing. Mm. I don't think we think about that enough. Mm -hmm. We don't think about the difference that we can make just by being the kind of people that Jesus wants us to be. Yeah, and I, I think the key in what you're saying is allowing Jesus to be the one who defines that. Yes. So it's not necessarily us or our culture or society, um, but it's coming back to how Jesus defines those things. That, that right there is a perfect way to close this podcast. To all of you uh, who have listened to this, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you like this podcast, please share it with others. Uh, we do want to remind you that this is a, a crowdfunded effort. And if you support us, we thank you greatly. And if you'd like to support us, please go to uh, Patreon uh, at patreon.com forward slash ethermmc. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you on the next one.